Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to the Well Women Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. This episode of The Well Woman Show is brought to you by the 2019 Love and Leadership Planner, which offers a mindfulness feminist lens, supporting you to be you and expand your capacity for love and leadership. If you've been looking for a planner that incorporates a calendar and goal setting in the framework of Well Woman Life, then look no further. Go to loveandleadershipplanner.com to pre-order. Hello, hello, well women. Welcome back. If you're new to the show, welcome. This is your space for really upping the level of love and leadership in your life and uh, learning from women who are excelling in their field and managing multiple things in their lives and how they're doing it all. And uh, today on the show, I have a special guest who uh, I'll introduce in a moment, but I want to first reflect on um, some things that I've been thinking about through the run-up to the election and now post-election. Um, and that is, what is our role in advocacy and in uh, in the elections and in change, making change in our communities and in our country and in the world. And you might be thinking, well, the election's over. What can we do now? You may have won some, you may have lost some, you may be happy with the outcome, you may still be wanting, you know, to change even more. Um, and I have a special bonus for you at the end of the show today with six things you can do to impact, to make an impact and create change in your community and in the country and in your family and your life. So uh, definitely listen through to the end of the show for the, for the bonus six uh, tips and um, I'm excited to introduce my guest for today's show, Amy Whitfield, who is the executive director of the Domestic Violence Resource Center in New Mexico. And we talk about gender equality, power and control, sexual harassment, and the toxic masculinity issue. Amy joined the Domestic Violence Resource Center team in August 2017 and has been excited to come back to work in anti-violence. Her career over the past 19 years varies among uh, nonprofit fields and has always given her the opportunity to be an advocate for women and communities of color fighting for equity. Amy graduated with her master's in social work from the University of Maine and has since worked in numerous fields, including anti-sexual violence, substance abuse treatment, teen pregnancy and parenting, leadership, and community organizing. 
You can find out more about her and links, everything that I mentioned on the show today at wellwomanlife.com slash 141 show. You can also continue the conversation in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico and High Desert Yoga in Albuquerque. Now to my interview with Amy Whitfield. Hi, Amy. Let's start with telling listeners what you're working on and how it impacts women's lives. You know, I'm continually working on making sure that the services that we have are effective for our clients. Um, Domestic violence is one of those things that makes it really hard to judge your effectiveness because we know that um, very often people in domestic violence relationships go back for multiple different reasons. There's barriers to them leaving. There's, um, you know, a cycle of violence that has been normalized. And so it, you know, one of the things is that we're um, always working on how do we make sure that what we're doing has, um, has an impact, even if we can't see that impact right away. One of the things is that domestic violence isn't just an individual service that we offer to an individual person. It is a movement, right? It is nationwide. It is international. Um, It is an issue that is affecting people, whether you are rural or urban, whether you are um, in New Mexico or whether you are in New York. And um, so that one of the things that we do to make sure we're being effective is staying connected to the movement, making sure that um, when research is coming out, we're aware of it and and modifying our services to do um, those things that are evidence-based practices. And um, also really making sure that we're not just working with individual clients in individual moments, but that we're part of how we change our whole entire social system um, so that we don't just think about domestic violence. We think about gender inequality. We think about affordable housing. We think about um, the ways that relationships are portrayed in media. And so that when we are connected to all of those things, we're creating a complete community that responds to domestic violence. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the great thing about having 23 people on staff is that um, I can really focus on being involved in our community and and bringing the message of domestic violence and all of the different factors, I can work on that um, during my work week where our advocates are working with people who are in the middle of crisis and our counselors are working for pe- with people who are a little bit removed and want to you know, be on the path of recovery and, and making changes for the future. And then we have some interns that work with us on our prevention programming um, who are folks who are out in the community, really really, um, able to spread a message around changing social systems. Um, And on top of that, we try to be engaged and involved in multiple different ways. Um, When we have our fundraisers and um, events, they're not just events to come and we ask you for a donation. I mean, of course we do that, but that we also spend time during those events focusing on how can people take action um, in the lives that they lead, right? Not everyone is going to be a domestic violence advocate, um, you know, 40 hours a week, 
But just by changing the way we talk in our own lives or by the way that we um, represent um, who we believe in and how we believe and how we support, we can do that, those things in our own lives. And um, so we spend a lot of time really trying to put that message out there in different ways, right? We have a blog on our website. We have a newsletter that people can join. We have a Facebook account and a Twitter account. Um, and then just being in the community at different events and, and doing presentations and saying continually over and over and over again, let's change the way that we think about domestic violence um, instead of saying, hey, here's the services. Yes, I think we need to get to the root causes in order to find the solutions. So how do we need to change the way we think about domestic violence? The first thing is to think about how are we thinking about it now? Um, too often we talk about domestic violence um, without talking about, you know, as you were saying, the root causes. Um, we're not talking about gender inequality, even though 98% of domestic violence victims are women, right? Um, and that even when um, domestic violence victims are not women, that still it mirrors this pattern of um, gender inequality that we have in our lives, right? Power, control, and that we can look at the same things that we see with sexual harassment. Um, when we're talking about the Me Too movement, we can see um, stories that different victims share, really share this same sim symbology of gender inequality. Um, and so once we say, okay, I'm going to say different things about gender inequality. I'm going to um, make gender inequality my issue. Then we really are taking action against domestic violence, as well as the multitude of other problems that are facing women in our country. This is such a big topic. Gender equality has received a lot of attention lately, but some of the attention is really negative. Are you seeing that? And how are you dealing with it? So, yes, there has been a lot of backlash against the gender equity movement, that there seems to be a feeling that when women are calling for gender equity, that what that means is that we want to hate men or we want to push men to the side um, or that we want to blame men for something. But that really the response is, should be, that gender equity improves men's lives as well as women's lives. That is the misconception. If men weren't held to the standards of patriarchal expectations of masculinity, I really believe they'd be happier and women would be better off as well. And I think, you know, when we talk about the different waves of feminism, I think that's one of the things that um, first wave feminism and second wave feminism really missed out on is how can men um, have a different access to emotions or a different access to careers or, you know, that we were pushing so much for women to be engaged in different ways and to be accepted that we forgot um, that we might simply be not giving enough space to the way that we define masculinity. But I think that... Um, in third wave feminism, right, what we've been doing for probably the last 10 or 15 years has really done that. It has really said, 
Um, you know, we've talked about things like toxic masculinity. We've talked about ways that we can um, uplift men who choose roles outside of that. Um, we've had a lot of conversation around gender not being binary, right? That there's not just like a way to be female and a way to be male, but that there's multiple different um, ways to be human on this continuum um, and really started having conversations about a non-binary gender. I'm very interested in bringing that vague, high-level systems level conversation down to the very specific, what can I do every day in my life, in my family, in my community? So what are some of the specific things we can do and say? Because all we have is what we do and what we say, right? So what can we do very specifically? Oh, I think that's such a great question, but also, right, a very powerful question is, um, you know, the way that you live your life is, again, like you said, it's the only thing we have, um, but you can live it in such a powerful way, right, that that changes our society and communicates a message and um, that really, I believe that the only way that we change is when... Um, people within our own social circle find what we're doing unacceptable so that, um, you know, a lot of anti-racism and anti-sexism training, you know, does this like, hey, let me give you all this facts and all this information. And those things may touch your heart a little bit, um, but that really it's not until your mother or your sister or your best friend says, you know, what you just said, that joke that you just made or the way that you just treated that person is unacceptable. And I think that's what we need to do. Um, but we have been saddled with this idea that we're not supposed to criticize people. We're not supposed to speak up. Um, that only if they do something that's overtly racist or overtly sexist, can we say something, you know? But that really what we can do is be very um, vocal about those things that are not overt, right? That are very subverted, um, you know? So one thing that I think about all the time is the way that we talk about um, things in possessive terms, right? So um, that I very often hear people say things like my woman or, um, but that we say, um, oh, the man that she's dating, right? Um, that we use those things in, that we don't use possessiveness with men the way that we use possessiveness with women. So if we can point those things out to the people that we care and love about, um, saying, hey, did you notice that the way that you said that just then was pretty sexist? Or um, the way that you said that made me feel a little bit like um, you don't think about me in equal terms as you think about men. That if we can start doing that with the people that we care about, the ones that um, I hope are more open to listening to it, then we can actually have a very big impact. You know, um, you don't have to be the person speaking at the, you know, one million women march. You can have an impact, you know, just by having coffee with someone. Some of these intimate conversations are the most difficult to have. What advice or what do you have to say about that? I, I think some of those conversations are the most difficult, right? That has been my own personal journey, right? Of um, 
that I believe that I became a feminist at the age of 15, right? Um, and that that happened by reading books and, you know, um, recognizing, right, the different ways that I was being treated. Um, and I was super excited to stand up at my, you know, state speech competition in high school and give this really great, well, I thought it was really great speech, right, around um, gender equality and feminism and um, all of that. And then I couldn't say to um, my father, right, things that I just thought, man, if I was a boy, I think you would say that differently, or I think you would treat me differently. Um, and that it has been a huge process of personal growth, of finding my voice within my own family and within my own community, where it was so much easier to find that voice when it was, hey, you get to stand out there and talk to a thousand strangers and say this thing. Um, so I completely agree. Those intimate conversations are the really, really hard ones to have. I'm speaking with Amy Whitfield. We'll be right back. I'm back with Amy Whitfield, director of the New Mexico Domestic Violence Resource Center, and we're headed into the segment called Superpowers for Success. Amy, what does success in life mean to you? Right now, right? Like in my life right now, what I'm really enjoying and being able to say is for me, success is that I have a lot of people come and ask me questions. Um, a lot of um, women from my own community who, for you know, who um, think that they want to do what I do or have seen me say something and, and have found that moving. And so um, every time someone comes and says to me, hey, can I pick your brain? That just feels extremely successful to me. Um, and that's, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. That is good enough. And Amy, when did you know you were really good at what you do? Oh, there are still some days that I feel like I am not good at this. Um, I think definitely in my, um, in high school and college, I never thought I was good. I, I really felt like I was a complete fraud. Anytime somebody congratulated me. Um, I smiled and walked away being like, whoo, I sure did fool them. Um, I would say probably around, um, you know, I think it was when I started the PhD program in 2010 and then I quit in 2013. Um, I just, I felt like I already had um, enough degrees to do whatever I wanted to do that I was building my resume and I didn't need to have a PhD attached to that resume in order to move further ahead. And that, that decision was so hard, the decision to quit something, um, that when I was able to say I quit, um, and actually I was able to say, I'm going to take a leave of absence, right? I didn't actually say I quit. Um, but when I was able to say that, I really kind of felt like, man, I can stand on all the things that I've accomplished so far. Um, I don't want to stop accomplishing things, but at no point can anyone say I haven't done anything, right? Without me being able to say, no, look, here's my resume. Here's the things I've accomplished. Here's the people who will back up what I say. Okay. What superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? Superpower. I have recently discovered um, a, 
So for a very long time, I've had people tell me over and over and over again that I wasn't empathetic or I wasn't understanding. Um, and that I've only recently started to um, understand that I am extremely empathetic um, and that what people really wanted from me was not empathy, but they wanted sympathy and they wanted for me to um, agree with them. Um, and so that what I've really started seeing in myself recently is, no, I have extreme empathy. I'm really able to see where people are coming from. I'm able to see both sides of the coin. I'm able to see um, the ways that my decisions impact other people, but that I've continually been in positions where I don't get to agree with everybody. I don't, I don't get to let folks have their way. So I've been walking around thinking that I'm a harsh person and I've been walking around thinking that I didn't care about people. Um, but no, like I've really become understanding of my own self and where I'm at and how, you know, sometimes you're in positions where you just, you cannot um, be what people want or, you know, they might even need, but that you can't be that. Amy, do you identify as a feminist? On some days I do, yes. Um, <laughs> other days, no. I think it's, it is difficult for me as a black woman because, um, you know, again, like I said, I became or I started um, identifying myself as a feminist when I was in high school. And um, the, that came out of, you know, books and things that I was learning in high school, right, which is a very white-centric um, way and then as I got to college and then I started finding my own things, I started reading a lot more historical references to feminism um, that really left out women of color and were very adversarial to men of color. And so it became a lot harder to say I'm a feminist or to think of myself in that way. Um, so that over the years, what I've decided is that I am a social activist. Um, and so what that means to me is that sometimes I have to be an environmentalist, right? Which um, sometimes I don't like that term either. Sometimes I have to be a feminist. Sometimes I have to be an anti-racist. Um, sometimes I have to be a voter, right? Um, and so that I like the term social activist better than anything else. Last question for you today. What book are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? So I actually just finished reading the book Radical Acceptance. And so many people have um, encouraged me to read that and have told me to read it. Um, so I read that. It was really good. Um, I'm not so sure that that's the train I want to get on. Um, but it was a really good book for me. Um, and I enjoyed it and it gave me um, some thoughtful ideas about mindfulness practice. Um, and then the other book that I am um, reading right now is The Tao of Leadership. Um, and something that I've read before, but just really wanted to start reading it again. So. And Amy, you're the co-chair of Galvanize New Mexico, which is happening on December 1st, right here in Albuquerque. 
and we'll link to that at wellwomanlife.com slash radio so you can find out more about it. But Amy, can you tell us about what this event is and why people should attend? Yes, absolutely. Um, So it's really exciting. Um, It is part of the national organization, the United State of Women. They are doing um, nine different cities throughout the nation are having galvanized events. And it's a chance for um, us here in New Mexico to really get engaged and learn more about how we can get engaged um, in our local um, grassroots organizing, but also tying that to a national movement of gender equity. I think the first reason people want to come is because the opportunity to have a gathering of um, excited and passionate activists here in New Mexico, that that is something people want to show up for. Um, That during that day, we're going to be focusing on building people's knowledge and skills around um, civic engagement and activism, um, leadership, and then also entrepreneurship. And so that people can choose either one of those tracks that they want to focus on um, and really be able to, you know, spend the day gaining um, skills and knowledge in that area. We're also going to have some very exciting um, local speakers who have done some amazing activism work here and and they'll be able to share that with us. Amy, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I am adding this bonus piece on at the end after the interview to really reflect on what can we do now that the election is over. And I propose that this is when really the work begins because there's still a lot we can do. And the kind of underlying theme for this bonus piece here is that you can always choose love over fear and leadership over being a bystander. So with those two things in mind, let's talk about six things you can do to make an impact and create change in your family, community, and your country. So number one is accept. So we need to accept where we are. We need to look at the, uh, for example, the results of the election and um, say, okay, this is where we are, and this is what I have to work with, and I'm going to move forward. And so that acceptance, instead of uh, instead of fighting and uh, contraction and fear, the feeling of acceptance and love, and even though you you might not love what's happening, but you can accept it in order to move through it and move forward and and create the change that you want to create. That's number one. Number two is accountability. Hold new elected officials accountable. You, uh, you can do that. They'll be moving into transitioning into their new offices in November and December. So make sure they hear from you as they're making their plans for appointments and hiring. Some transition teams really rely on experts to guide the planning for taking office, and that expert could be you. Number three, be visible. Be heard and take up space. 
If you helped a candidate and she won, ask her to appoint you to a policy committee or a task force. Look at new or unlikely committees to join. Bring your unique viewpoint on to a topic you wouldn't normally weigh in on. Uh, number four, volunteer. Find an organization that's leading the change you want to see on a particular topic and join them. Is it animal rights, domestic violence, and sexual harassment, the environment, or issues related to small business? Serve as a volunteer on a committee or on the board. Number five, invite people along with you. This is super important as uh, as we become and really step into our leadership, we need to remember to bring others along with us. And so if there is a celebration or something that you've been invited to to celebrate the candidates that you worked for, um, that you helped elect, uh, bring, bring other people with you. Ask other women to go with you. Expose them to what you now have access to. And number six, integrate. How do you do all of these things that I've just been talking about? I know it's a lot. And if you think about integrating your voice and your presence on the topics that you care about, you can create a committee at work. You can volunteer with your kids as a family activity. It doesn't have to always be a separate activity. That's another thing on your to-do list. So think of integration and it will be smoother and more fun. I hope you enjoyed this bonus piece of the show. You can go to wellwomanlife.com slash 141 show to see the full list and all the show notes. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week. Music